Thankfully, peace and joy, and what we often call happiness, is not as elusive as we may think. But if you're going to be happy, you will have to let go of your pride and be a humble learner. Solomon understands human pride and he continues quoting the words that wisdom would preach. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. It is a frightening thing to get to the point of no return. The point of no return. These are terrifying words. Yet so many get to that place. God help us to turn to him before it's too late. Well, you folks have seen me sit on a stool before, so you won't mind me doing it again this morning. And uh, so here we are. We are. We've come actually now to the end of Proverbs chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, turn them in your Bibles to to Proverbs chapter one, and uh, and just uh, be ready for when we turn to the verses that we're looking at this morning. Um, let me just say this. Uh, in the 1960s, I was born in the ni- early 1960s, and uh, I can tell you I have very strong memories of the uh, peace movement of the 1960s. How many remember that? Are old enough to admi- you'll admit it? Yes, you remember that. And I'll tell you, you know, from my perspective, uh, by the time we got to the end of the 60s, I was eight years old, and the whole thing looked like a lot of fun. The guys all had long hair and beards and walked around and flared jeans and bare feet or flip-flops and uh, everybody was playing guitars and everything was psychedelic colors remember all that and you remember flower power yeah and everything everything was all love and let's get along and remember this peace yeah and you remember all the signs well the year before I was born April 17 to 19 1961 it would become known as the Bay of Pigs. And it was, it was an invasion by Cuban exiles, Cuban, Cubans that had made it to America that wanted to go back and reclaim their country. Uh, well, it, it was a failure. And um, emboldened by their victory over the American-backed invasion, Russia attempted to install missiles in communist Cuba that were aimed at America. It became known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. And there's a lot of people that will remember the, the, the dread and the fear that so many people had at that time. Uh, my own mother said that it was during that time that uh, she heard Billy Graham preach and that she gave her heart to Christ at that time. Uh, it, was a, it was a terrifying time. And so this is, a, is an old picture of, of one of Russia's great, great missiles. Well, 
The atomic bomb had been used on Japan and everybody was, was very weary of war and everyone was terrified that, that these missiles and the bombs that they, these missiles would bring would, would put Russia or put America in a place where they would suffer uh, an atomic attack. So children were taught to hide under desks. Does, does anybody remember that? Yeah, some do. Uh, and the children would have to hide there as if hiding under desks could help you against an atomic attack. But that just tells you that people would do anything for some kind of a sense of peace. So we teach our children to crawl under the desk. Phew, I can rest, I can relax. But the fact of the matter is, is that by, by the 60s, by the early 60s, uh, people were absolutely sick and tired of war. The world had gone through already two world wars in the, in the beginning of the last century, and then again, the, the Second World War. And if you were an American, then your country would have been at war with North Korea, as well as Vietnam. And so what happened is that the, the, the generation of the 60s, they rose up and they said, enough is enough. We do not want war anymore. We want peace. And so you, you may remember this. I certainly remember this as a child, watching this on TV, uh, the marches for peace and then the peace symbol. Um, I remember some conspiracy theorists saying that that peace symbol was an upside down cross. That's not what it is. It was actually designed, a graphic designer came up with, with that through, um, through the, the, how many know that the, the Navy uses flags to, to, to signal to say what they have to say? Well, it's actually two words, uh, N and D. So this is N and then this is D. So he put those two together and that gave you the, um, the, the peace symbol. And so here's the thing. Everybody wants peace. Everybody does. Nobody wants war. And man, if, if ever there's been a time when we have really looked for peace, again, it's right now. We have seen some terrible things over the past two years. First of all, with this, this pandemic, but more than that, we have seen uh, racial tension and conflict. We've seen religious conflict, gender conflict, uh, political conflict, international conflict, health, financial conflict, and tension. I mean, we're living in a world that is full of tension and conflict. And for the first time in hundreds of years, the church now is experiencing something we haven't experienced for hundreds of years, and that is that we are under attack. The world hates us. The world hates the church, it hates the gospel. And some pastors, some churches are trying to enter into dialogue and trying to find a way that, that they can be relevant to this generation, that they can somehow, somehow say, hey, you know what, we're, we're not bad guys after all. You're gonna see in just a moment how wrong that approach is. Nevertheless, we need to have peace, but not in our terms and not, not our way. It has to be a peace that comes from God, not a peace that we manufacture ourselves, not a peace that comes through protests and marching, because for many people, they think that's the only way that they can enjoy or have peace. 
this, this inner conflict, this fear, this anxiety, this absence of peace, what is the solution to this? Is it marching? Is it a parade? What do we need? Well, here's what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 32 to 33. He says, for simpletons turn away from wisdom. Now, in your version, it will say, for simpletons turn away from me. The me there represents wisdom. Remember, we, we talked about how Solomon has personified wisdom and made wisdom a woman speaking. So this woman, by the name of wisdom, is speaking to his son. And so uh, just for clarity here, I, I've put the word wisdom in there so you understand. So Solomon says, simpletons turn away from wisdom to death. Now, can you just stop and look at me for a moment? Who would be stupid enough to turn away from wisdom to death? And yet this is exactly what our culture does. That's what the world does. We turn away from wisdom to death. But the problem is, is that most people don't understand that that's what they're doing. They don't understand that they're turning to death and turning when they turn away from God. So he goes on to say, fools are destroyed by their own complacency. And by complacency, what does that word mean? It means a, a sense of contentment. I'm content with my way of life. I like, I'm satisfied with my, my, with my way of life. I like my life. Preacher, I don't care what you've got to say. I like what I've got. Well, this is what, exactly what Solomon is saying. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency, by their own sense of gratification and what, what they've got right now. In fact, this is why I always say to new immigrants to Canada, Canada is a dangerous place because you can live here and actually believe that you've died and gone to heaven because you have everything here that you want. And if you can't pay your debts, don't worry about it. The bank will forgive your debts. And in just a couple of years, you can go back at it again and spend all your money and go bankrupt again. But all who listen to wisdom, Solomon says, will live in peace untroubled by fear of harm. Now, that second, that second part of the verse, but all who listen to wisdom will live in peace untroubled by fear and of harm. Isn't this exactly what everybody wants? It's exactly what the world wants. It's exactly what we want. But here's the thing. If you want the kind of peace that Solomon is describing here, you've got to do it God's way. You can't do it your way. Some people say, well, Pastor Allen, can we, can we, just, can we just sort of just take the good bits, the easy bits, and just use that? And the answer that would come to us through Solomon and through every prophet in Scripture would be, no, you have to do it God's way. So this morning, what I want to do is I want us to, to look at the Scripture here, and we, we want to learn how to have peace, especially in these troubled times. How, can, how is it, can we go to bed at night and not be worried and not be stressed out, not chewing our fingernails off? I know some people are absolutely terrified that the end of the world is here and here right now. And yet Jesus, when he's telling his disciples what the end of the world will look like, he says, oh, and by the way, be not afraid. Yeah. What? The end of the world? And now Jesus is saying, oh, and by the way, do not be afraid. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why he tells us not to be afraid. There's a reason why we can be at peace. And this is what we are going to find this morning. Now, first of all, let me just say this. Peace is a significant concept for God's people. Does everybody understand this? 
Peace is an important concept, important idea for God's people, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. In the Old Testament, the term peace is used 311 times in the King James Version, and it basically is the word shalom. Shalom is a greeting. In many countries, they use that greeting. In fact, I've heard them using that greeting uh, while in Burundi, shalom. It's a, it's a, it's a well-known term. And what does it mean? Well, it means that we're at ease with one another, that we, have, that we have a friendship, that we are one, that there's harmony between us. In the New Testament, the word peace is used 109 times. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm using peace uh, as it's used in the King James Version. And it's the word irini, which means peace. And it, it gives you this idea of rest and tranquility. So totally at ease and at rest. Now it's interesting that all the religions of the world uh, all talk about peace. And in my research, I came across uh, charts with, with all kinds of symbols that symbolize peace in, in every religion. Now, the, the problem with other religions is that they try to come, help you come to a place of peace by, by using uh, mantras and uh, chakras, and if you, if, you, if you twist your legs a certain way, which I can't do anymore, <laughs> you get into the yoga position and get your fingers the right way, and you sit up straight, and if you hum, and if you repeat a word over and over, and somehow peace is going to come to you. But as soon as you get out of that, that twisted yoga position and get out of that place of, of, of meditation, uh, you, you find yourself right back in the real world, surrounded by the hatred, by the tension and conflict. The peace that, that Jesus Christ promises us is a peace that Jesus specifically describes as not being of this world. Did you get that? It's really important. Because while all the other religions of the world are giving you a peace that's of this world, Jesus says the peace that I'm giving you is not of this world. The peace that I am promising you is a special peace. It's a divine peace. It's a supernatural peace. And I hope everybody knows that when I'm saying peace, I'm saying P-E-A-C-E, not P-I-E-C-E, as in a piece of cake, or as in little green vegetables. I'm not saying peas. I'm saying peace a supernatural peace that comes from God. So peace, if you want to just have a simple definition, working definition for us this morning, is, is simply put, uh, it's being in harmony with God and all people with an inner tranquility. How does that sound? It all comes from God. Now, who doesn't want that? When you look at this verse here, the second verse, but all who listen to wisdom will live in peace untroubled by fear of harm. Um, looking at that in the, in the Hebrew, here's a simple, a very simple, uh, primitive way to translate that. And the one listening to me, that is wisdom, shall dwell in his tent, trusting and tranquil from the alarm of evil. The idea is that, a, is that an Israeli man or woman is actually in their tabernacle, because that's actually the word in Hebrew, it's tabernacle, or we would say tent, dwelling in their tent, totally trusting at peace. Now, has anybody ever gone tenting before? Has anybody ever gone tenting in Banff before? Has anybody ever experienced 
tenting in Banff with bear warnings and wildcat warnings all over the place. And you realize that you're sleeping in your tent with your children with, with a fabric that's only a millimeter, <laughs> a millimeter thick. And that's, gonna, that's, that's between you and the bear or you and the, and the, and the wildcat, whatever it is. And you think to yourself, can I really go to sleep? <laughs> well, here's the idea. Solomon is saying this, this, this person who is at peace is, is at, asleep in his tent, trusting and tranquil, uh, tranquil from the alarm of all evil, not afraid of anything on the outside, between him and the outside of that fabric tent, totally at peace. Now, you and I, we live, we live in, in proper structures, in, the good, good wall that's at least six inches, eight inches thick with insulation and stucco and drywall. And, that, and then we have a door that's got locks on it. And then if that's that, we have alarms on. And if that's that, we have a dog <laughs> or two. That should do it. That'll keep me at peace. But imagine, imagine being able to live so at peace so trusting in God that you don't care if the door is even locked. You don't, you're not worried about a thing. This is, what, this is the image that Solomon is, is trying to help us see. But all who listen to wisdom will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. So here's the thing that we need to understand about peace. To have peace... We must be listening to wisdom. And I want you to see that the word listen actually in the Hebrew is the present, in the present continuous tense. So it's ongoing. It's not something you do once and that's the end. Like some people think, I said a sinner's prayer, I did it once and that's the end of it. I, I repented once and that's the end of it. No, no, this is ongoing. We're, we're constantly listening to wisdom. We're constantly being instructed by, by wisdom. It's ongoing. Or another way to put it is we are being governed. This idea of this ongoing listening is the idea of being governed by wisdom. And if you have your Bibles or look at verses 28 and 29. And Solomon says, when they cry for help, it's actually not Solomon, but Solomon uh, speaking through the voice of wisdom Wisdom will say, when they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. Verse 29, for they hated knowledge, look at that, and chose not to fear the Lord. Does that verse 29 remind you of anything? Well, hopefully it reminds you of verse 7, which we reviewed at the beginning of this series. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. What is wisdom? Because some of you are sitting here and saying, well, Pastor Alan, I do want that peace that comes from listening to wisdom. But you need to understand what wisdom is. And wisdom, we're told, is the fear of the Lord. Does everybody get that? So if you and I are gonna have the peace that Solomon's talking about, then we need to be governed by this fear of the Lord this ongoing fear of the Lord. Now, can you all look at me for a moment? Because some people are confused about what the fear of the Lord is. Some people, if you're not from a Christian background, you might think, well, what kind of a God makes us afraid of him? 
Now, look, at this is not what we're talking about when we talk about the fear of the Lord. If you're not a believer, then yes, you need to be afraid of the Lord because there's judgment and hellfire awaiting all who don't put their faith in Christ. Everybody gets that. But we're not talking about the unbeliever here. We're talking about the, the people of God. Remember, this is addressed to God's people. So we're talking about the believer. So for the believer, what does the fear of God mean? Well, I've given you a simple little uh, little. Uh, definition here the fear of the lord is reverence for god which motivates us to do god's will did you get that so in a nutshell the fear of god is is doing the will of god so here's solomon he's saying if you want to have peace in your life you need to do the will of god every time okay you can all go home now (laughs) because that's it If you want to have peace in your life, then you need to do the will of God every time. Now look at this. Those who are doing God's will shall have peace in their life, and they will have inner peace and very likely peace with others. Now, not all the time, and I'll explain more of that in just a few moments. But you are going to to radically change your life when you start living the way God wants you to live. Some people are, are very content with their life and they're unwilling to change. They're unwilling to become the people God wants them to become. Remember, we talked about that last week and for the last few weeks. Unwilling to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Unwilling to become like Jesus. Look at when you're doing the will of God, what you're doing is you're becoming like Jesus. And that's what God wants for every one of you. So the, the wealth and prosperity teachers, they're, they're all saying, God wants you to be rich. That's God's will for you. And God says, no, it's not. You are liars. You are false prophets. What do you do with a false prophet? You stone him to death in the Old Testament. <laughs> what do we do? What do we do if we want to have peace in our life? We do God's will every time. And here's the thing, folks. If you are growing in your walk with God, you are becoming more and more like Jesus and and you're becoming better and better at doing God's will all the time. Isn't this what we pray about every day? Jesus taught us to pray this, didn't he? He said, when you pray, pray like this. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus said. If and when you pray, pray like this. And he taught us the Lord's Prayer. And of course, in the very middle of the prayer is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we want to do God's will because when we do God's will, that's when we maximize peacefulness in our lives. That is when we are untroubled by fear of harm. Is everybody getting this? It's a supernatural work of God in our lives his promise to protect us. Now, here is the human predicament. And you know I'm always gonna tell you this. Because so far, it sounds like all, I'm just just cheering you on and telling you, you just just do the right thing and you're gonna be okay. But here is the human predicament. Look at verse 30 and 31. Wisdom says, they rejected my advice. They paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking 
on their own schemes. By the way, this is the New Living Translation. I love the way they put that. Choking on their own schemes. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of their own way. Hey, look at me for a moment. How many of us, how many of us have experienced and tasted the bitter fruit of living our own way in opposition to the will of God. Anybody, anybody willing to admit that? Here's a few of us and a few who are not willing to admit that. That's okay. This is, this is, this is what we do. We get into trouble whenever we do things our way. Listen, when you become a Christian, you come in complete and total surrender to God and you say, God, I'm gonna start living your way. Now, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't, I don't, you don't come for prayer. I pray over you and anoint you with oil and wave my magic wand over you and you're perfect. It doesn't work that way. This is why we keep talking about the doctrine of sanctification, that process whereby God is sanctifying us, making us holy. That's what sanctify means, to be made holy or to be set apart for God's purposes. So the good news for Alan Duncalf is that, is that I'm not perfect, but I'm getting better. I'm better today than I was yesterday, and I'm better yesterday than I was a month ago, and I'm better a month ago than I was a year ago. You know, one of the wonderful things about my parents is I see that they are, even though they're in their 80s, they're still growing. They're still learning. They're still maturing in their faith. They're, they're not sitting back and saying, oh, well, I'm old. I'm retired now. Enough of this conforming to the will of God. I'm just going to live out the rest of my life and then die. Yeah. Now, as Christians, we are being sanctified. And someday... When we go to see the Lord, the sanctification process is over. No more suffering, no more pain, no more discipline, no more struggles. We are glorified. We're given glorified bodies and we'll be like Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? But until we get there, until we're there, we need, by the grace of God, to learn how to submit to the will of God every time. This is, this is something that we teach in our discipleship. Habit number three, moment by moment holiness. Is every decision you make, you're saying, am I doing my will? Or am I doing God's will? If you're doing your will, then you're going your way and you're gonna be in trouble. You, we know that. That's what Solomon is warning us about. Stop doing things your own way. You're gonna end up in trouble and disaster and struggle and suffering and pain. Start doing things God's way and watch things start leveling out for you and things start going right. Hey, I know now when things aren't going right in my life, it's like, hold on a minute here, something's not right because things go smoothly for me. And if things aren't going smoothly for me, something's not right. For instance, the time I was coming down Kiwaitan and as I have been doing now for 14 years, this happened about three or four years ago when they put the new road in and I got a ticket. Yes, I'm admitting it. It's on YouTube now, it's, just, it's up there forever. And I got a ticket and I said to the officer, why on earth have you stopped me? I was going 60. He said, well, you weren't quite going 60. You were a couple, a couple of kilometers over. I said, yeah, well, you don't get tickets for that. He goes, no, no, you, 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 you thought the speed limit was 60, but it's 50. I said, but hold on a minute here. 
up, up to Atom, it's 60. And after Inkster, it's 60. I said, I didn't see a sign between those roads. He goes, ah, there's no sign posted. The speed limit's 50. Right. <laughs> now, those things don't happen to me. And I, ta- I understood, okay, God's getting my attention here. Something's, 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 something's got to give here. Let me ask you a question. Are you, have you come to the place in your life where you begin, you've begun to understand that when things aren't going right in your life, it's probably because you have fallen out of step with the will of God. You're not doing God's will. You're not where you need to be. During that time when I got my ticket, I, it was a, an extremely busy time, and I was too busy. And I knew that. As soon as, it, as soon as it happened, I knew what the problem was. And I, right on the spot, I confessed it to God, Lord, I'm sorry. I've allowed myself to get far too busy, uptight and anxious and impatient. Now, I, this is a big confession from your pastor. Your pastor is very human, just like you. But it's not enough to sit here and listen to my confession. What about you? Are you listening to the voice of the Spirit at work in your life? Have you, have you had moments when you've lacked peace in your life and things aren't going your way? Well, God's trying to get your attention in his kind way. Well, we've all choked on the results of our way of living, our own way of living. Back in the 1970s, a movie came out called The Godfather, and basically, Michael Corleone, the son of the original Godfather, he wants, well, he, he, he's in a position where he's got to take over the, the family, the mafia family, and he wants to take it out of petty crime, and he wants it to become a legitimate business. That's why he calls it a legitimate business. But the way to the top for the Godfather, and Michael Corleone becomes the new Godfather, is utterly and completely contrary to God's laws and God's way. Now, here's what I know about so many people. They want to make it to the top. They want to succeed. They want to have success. They want to, they want to have everything go their way. But, but here's what you have to understand. God has called us to live in obedience to him. And this is why when I hear preachers and teachers and churches proclaim that, that God wants to help you realize your dreams and that God wants you to have your vision come true, this is totally contrary to Scripture. There's nothing in the Bible that says God wants your dreams to come true. Does anybody know that? I told you about the pastor got quite angry at me that I wouldn't come to his conference. And I said, well, the very premise of your conference is not biblical. Why would I come to a conference like that? And the, the conference was something to the fact that all your dreams will come true or something. No, 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 no. That's not biblical. No. What God wants, my friends, is for us to do things his way. What God calls us to is not to dream dreams. God calls us to obedience, to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. So here's Michael Corleone 
He's, he's going to get out of the petty business, but he does it his way through murder, theft, and cheating. By the time we get to the, to the third installment, he even gets involved with the Roman Catholic Church. He's going to bail the Vatican out. The B- Vatican Bank's in trouble, and he's been knighted by a cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church. He even does confession, but in no way is he prepared to give up his own will. He's going to continue to do things his way. By the time you get to the end of the story, there's Michael Corleone sitting on a chair in the courtyard of his estate all alone. His daughter shot and killed because of him. Alone, his family has abandoned him, but he ends his life lonely and what? And rich. A rich old man. And Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Isn't that exactly what what we do here in North America? Isn't that just our modus operandi? We will do whatever it is to get the almighty dollar, and I'm going to have, we're going to have a car for everybody in our family. We're going to have the biggest house. We're going to have the best equipment in our house. We're the best equipment in our yard. And yet, your kids aren't serving God. You're hardly serving. You're not serving God. Your life is a mess. And here's what Solomon would say to the Godfather and to anybody who decides to live life his or her own way. Verse 32 of Proverbs 1. For simpletons, for idiots, for numbskulls, they turn away from wisdom to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. They're content with their own life. They're not changing for anything. And look at this, folks. Here's the saddest thing of all. Solomon, who wrote this book, turns out in the end to be a fool himself because he refuses to do the will of God. Now, how many of us today are in danger going to church our whole life, teaching our kids, teaching in Sunday school, involved in youth, involved in, in ushering, involved in church, and yet we, we've gotten so used to doing things our own way. Here we are, choking, as Solomon says, choking on our own schemes. Well, can I, I got news for you folks. You don't have to live this way. In fact, The whole point of becoming a Christian is that you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. The way of Christ is the way of peace. And this is why Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Can everybody look at me? Don't be troubled or afraid. Tell the person beside you, don't be troubled or afraid. Go ahead, say it. Don't be troubled or afraid. Well, look it. You don't have to be troubled or afraid. You can live in your tent, in your tent with a one millimeter thickness wall with bears and lions and machine guns and all sorts of things out there. You're safe in your tent. Why? Because God is with you. Because you're not alone. In the 1980s, there was a theological dispute that arose in the evangelical community, and it was called the Lordship Salvation Controversy. 
There were some theologians and pastors who were preaching that a person could become a Christian simply by submitting to Jesus Christ as Savior, full stop. In other words, I'm accepting Jesus my Savior. But then you had other pastors who were saying, well, hold on a minute here. You cannot accept Christ as Savior alone. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just your savior. And I actually heard a pastor preaching just a month ago. On, somebody sent me a clip of himself preaching. And he, in it, he said, well, when I was a young man, I, I accepted Christ as my savior when I was a young man. But, but when, I become, when I became older, then I accepted him as my Lord. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that suggests or supports such a notion. When Solomon is talking here about peace that comes from submitting to the wisdom of God, clearly, clearly, the peace that Solomon is talking about is a peace that comes from surrendering to the will of God. You can't just say, oh, well, I I love God. God is my everything. He's my wonderful. I sing about him in church, but then you don't submit to him? You show me what your faith is by what you do. Not by what you say. What you say is meaningless. This is what James says. James says, who cares what you say? It's what you do that proves what you believe. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, then you're going to obey him. You're going to submit to him. You're going to do your will. And if you do, then Jesus says, you're going to get a gift of peace, a peace in mind and heart. Hallelujah. That, my friends, is what God promises us if we submit to the king of kings. And this is what Paul says in Romans 10, 9. Listen to this. This is, we talk about the, the, the formula for, for becoming a Christian, Romans 10, 9. He said, Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. You cannot divorce Christ from his lordship. And just simply say he's a savior. He's a savior and he's the Lord. And by the way, when you submit your life to Jesus Christ and you become a Christian, then you are saying, Lord Jesus, you are going to be my king forever. You're going to be my Lord and I will obey you. And if you obey him, you will have his peace. Now, some people think, you know, that's that just... That Christianity sounds wonderful. It's all about love, 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 and we all get along. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't always work that way. This is what I was saying earlier. We are, as Paul says in in Romans 12, 18, we are, if possible, we are to live peaceably with all people as long as it depends on us, but it doesn't always work. Because there's people that hate Christ hate the church, hate the gospel, hate the word of God. And Jesus says this. He says, don't think. And he says this, Matthew 10, 34 to 36. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Did you hear that? Is Jesus, is he contradicting himself? He just went his telling us. He's giving us peace. But now he's saying, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. He didn't come to bring peace to the earth. He came to bring peace to those who put their faith in him and acknowledge him as the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says this. He says, don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword on guard, that kind of a sword. 
For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a, a, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is what he's come to do. What, what's Jesus talking about here? He's very clearly, there's some people who, who will reject Christ. But listen, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus Christ in you. Do you get that? That's the difference. So when I hear people say, you know what, there's people that don't like me, but I don't care, I'm a Christian, they just, they're angry at Christ. Well, you know, sometimes they're just being obnoxious. It's not Jesus Christ that people have a problem with, it, it's, it, it's you. <laughs> You're a jerk. Paul is saying, make sure that if people don't like you, it's not because you're a jerk, but because you are living the life that Jesus has called you to live. And if you live that way, then you will have peace. So Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on Jesus. Let me just close with this. There are so many examples in scripture of people who in the face of death are completely at peace. Our Lord Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers come to arrest him. He just gets everybody calmed down. His, one of his disciples gets angry, cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus, calm down, picks up the ear, heals the guy. Are you okay now? Everything's fine. And very peacefully, he's led away to the slaughter. Where does that peace come from? Folks, it's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that God is going to give you if God forbid that we should live through all of the last days, God will give you peace because some people are worried about that. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. The peace that I have, you will have. Is that a comfort to you? Yes. Does anybody remember Stephen? Yes. They, were, they, they didn't like Stephen, who was the first martyr. Why didn't they like him? Because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a man totally at peace with himself, with God, and with everybody. They arrested him. He preached a sermon, and the people were so angry, it says that they gnashed their teeth. How bad is that? And, and it says that uh, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Oh, that was the worst thing he could have said. The religious leaders went nuts. They're, they're stoned and they're yelling at the top of their lungs. There's, a, there's just bedlam. And they dragged him out to the city and they began to stone him to death. And while they were stoning him to death, this is what Stephen prayed. A total peace. Not afraid of those who could harm his body. Not afraid of those who could kill his body but couldn't kill his spirit and he says lord jesus receive my spirit then he fell on his knees and cried out lord do not hold this sin against them and when he had said this he fell asleep good night let's pray father we think this morning of the great peace that surrounded everybody who did the will of God. And we want that. God, we're tired of our own schemes. We're tired of choking on the fruit of our own 
willfulness, our own selfishness, and we pray this morning, God, that your peace would surround us. God, we are, are tired of eating bitter fruit from living our own way. And so we thank you today, Lord, for the wisdom that came from Solomon. But we see that even Solomon couldn't live this way. But all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, all who surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ can have the peace that passes all understanding. Father, thank you for this gift, this great gift of peace. Let it surround us, let it keep us so that we sleep peacefully in our tent. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Amen.